Please turn with me to page 1161 in the Church Bible. And our readings from 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 9 to 21. So that, that can be found in pages, page 1161. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 9 to 21. Starting at verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We, tr- we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become become the righteousness of God. Thanks, Hawaii, uh, for reading that. Keep open in front of you. Let me pray as we come uh, to think about these words this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a speaking God. And that the message we have in the Bible is the message about your son, the Lord Jesus. And it is good news for us. Please help us to hear it and understand it ourselves, but also encourage us as we think about passing it on to others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, As we said, this is the the last in our little series of kind of four foundations of our, our church life together. If you've just arrived in Cambridge, let me add my welcome. It's great to to have you here. You've come just as we're, we're coming to the end of this little series. And tonight we're thinking about mission, thinking about evangelism, talking to other people about the Christian faith, about Jesus. I don't know how you feel about that, that activity of talking to others about Christian things. It can feel tricky, can't it? I was thinking one of the 
uh, one of the times when it feels a little bit easier, when Christianity is more in the spotlight, is, is round about Christmas, isn't it? Everyone's kind of talking about uh, kind of Christmas things, and talking about church and the gospel seems a little bit easier. Uh, I did some checking. It's only 93 days to go till Christmas. I was saying that this morning. Are you ready yet? You ready for Christmas? Got your presents bought? Wrapped up? Um, I had a friend who had all her presents. They would always be wrapped by mid-October, ready to go. The, the rush will start soon, won't it? It's ridiculous. I hate it. So this is just my little rant at the start, which has not got very much to do with uh, what's coming up. But I've, I've written a couple of little public service couplets to help people. So see, see what you make of these. If December is not where you be, it isn't yet time for a Christmas tree. Unless December is your situation, please don't put up Christmas decorations. You like that? Remember those? Get those stuck in your head. It, it's crazy the way people rush towards Christmas, isn't it? I'm, I mean, we know what's going to happen. We've been through it lots and lots of times. This will be my 48th Christmas this year. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, all the things that, that go with it, the tree, the decorations, the presents, the nativity, the, the baby in the manger, I love it all at the right time, and in the right place. That's when you want it. Which reminds me, I was thinking, have you, have you ever had that feeling that someone looks familiar, but you can't quite place them? Have you ever had the feeling, you, you, you see someone, you think, you, you look familiar, but I can't quite place you, and it takes a while to work out, and then you get it. The, the professional guy that you're looking at, you remember you met him the other week. But he was the fun guy at a friend's party making everyone laugh. You didn't recognize him because he's in a different situation now. Dressed up, smart, doing his job. Or, or the young woman who's just checked you into A&E, you suddenly recognize her uh, because you'd seen her at church. And just for a moment, the different context had kind of thrown you off a little bit. You'd not quite placed them, but it's the same person. And it's kind of the same thing with verse 10 that we just read now, if you've got that in front of you. The person we're being told about, well, it's the baby of Christmas, isn't it? It's just that its context here is a little different. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the baby of Christmas. But now he's no longer confined to the squalor of a stable. He's now at ease in the glory of heaven. He's no longer laid in a borrowed manger. No, he's sitting on a seat that belongs to him. No longer tucked away in Bethlehem, a backwater of the Roman Empire. Now he's in the public gaze of, well, everyone. Days coming where everyone will see him. See, our busy world rushes from one thing to the next, doesn't it? It's always rushing on to the next thing. Uh, and occasionally, it pauses to stop and think. Our busy lives, I don't know how it's felt for you at the start of time, our busy lives, they rush from one thing to the next. But one day, verse 10, that's what it's saying, everyone will stop. History will stop. Stop in its tracks. And every life will stand Still, until this one has finished speaking. 
And what's interesting for us tonight is that if we want to think about our mission as a church, if we want to think about evangelism, about sharing the gospel with people, Paul says, this is a good place to stop and think with the Christ who towers over history, over your life and mine. How are you and I going to grow in our ability to speak to our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues about Jesus? How are we as a church family going to become the kind of church that in this regard can increasingly say what Paul says in verse 9 of our reading, so we make it our goal to please him. And it's worth just noting that, isn't it? Paul says in verse 9, so, so we make it our goal to please him. And, and after Paul says that, after Paul says the goal of the Christian life is to please God, one of the next things he talks about is making known the message of his saving plan through Jesus to other people. It's interesting that, isn't it? What, after he said we make it our goal to please him, the next thing he talks about really is talking to others about Jesus. It started me thinking this week, where else did the Bible talk about Christians pleasing God? And I'm sure there are other places, but the one that came to mind was from 1 Timothy chapter 2. I think it's verse 3, although I might have put it up in verse 4 here. Paul's been encouraging Timothy to get the church leaders, uh, to get the church to pray for leaders and for the church to pray in the right way. And he says, for this reason, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So when you're thinking about what pleases God, how you can live in that way, when we're thinking as a church family together about what pleases God and how our life together, we should be living in that way, it's interesting that more than once the Bible says what pleases God is when people come to know Jesus as Savior and it pleases Him it pleases him when his people join in the work of telling others about him. So how are we to grow as a church family in this? We thought about this passage. Some of you might have been here this morning. We thought about this same passage this morning, but we're going to think about it in a slightly different way tonight. But if we want to grow in our concern for evangelism, look, here's the first thing. We'll need to keep growing close to Christ. So I don't know if you noticed as we read, but Jesus is the one who dominates this passage that we just read. There's no doubt Paul is the one who's saying he's been speaking to other people about Jesus, but the driving force, the driving force all the way through, it's not really him, it's Jesus in a variety of ways. It's kind of a long time ago now, but do you remember back to the summer when the World Cup was on, all oh, that wonderful football, do you remember watching that? You loved it, didn't you? You loved it. Even as a Scotsman. We weren't there, you know that, but I quite enjoyed it. And lovely John Tuckwell, many of you will know him, who's just moved away. Lovely John Tuckwell invited a number of people round to watch one of the England games round his house. We were living next door then. Uh, and I went and took our two boys, who are young, they're eight and six. And during the match, there was a minor foul that took place. And a couple of players, you know the way they do in football, they were squaring up to each other. And while that was happening, we were all watching the room, a kind of loud voice from the left of me, from a six-year-old, shouted out over the room, Uh-oh, looks like there's going to be a bit of argy-bargy going on now. And it got a bit of a laugh like that when the six-year-old said it. Uh, and he enjoyed that. And I felt slightly embarrassed because it was one of those times where it sounded like something he's maybe heard in the privacy of our own house. 
coming out of my mouth uh, that I wouldn't have said in public. There's going to be a bit of argy-bargy here. But now it was being broadcast to the world. I felt a little bit embarrassed. But then I quite liked it. Because what it is really, uh, the more I thought about it, what was going on is, here was a little life. Here's a little six-year-old life that is close to me, that spent time with me, and he's been absorbing the way I speak and feel. And what's coming out of him is my kind of speaking. But that's a silly illustration, isn't it? But in a much more profound way, that's what's going on here. Look what Paul says he knows about Jesus. He says, Jesus Jesus is the judge whose opinions shape mine. That's verse 10, isn't it? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body. Paul talks about Jesus as the God who will judge us and he's not unhappy with that. It's good that we live in a moral universe. It would be a terrible thing to to live in a world where right and wrong were meaningless. But because Jesus is the judge, that's why Paul says in verse 9, so we make it our goal, we make it our aim to please him. And that's why he goes on to say what he says in verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade other people. Paul says, Look, the thing that matters most to me, the thing that should matter most to us as Christians is what Jesus thinks. And if he thinks telling people about him is the right thing to do, then that's what I want to do. And here's another thing that's in kind of Paul's thoughts as he writes this. It's, look, Jesus is the Savior whose love shapes my love. That's verse 14. You got that in front of you? Paul says this, look, for, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. You understand what he's saying? Look, if the Bible is true, if the Bible is true and Jesus came on a rescue mission and that as part of that rescue mission, he had to die for everyone. And he did that not because he had to, but out of an overflow of his great and gracious love. Paul's saying, as I've got to know this Jesus, as I've got to know him and walked with him and been around him, it's not that he's banging on at me to go out and do evangelism all the time. It's that I've started to love the things that he loves. And he loves people. And it's more than that. He's he started to love with his kind of love. I don't know if you've I don't know if you've thought very much about the way Jesus loves you. When we love someone, don't we? If there's somebody we love, a friend or a spouse or something like that, especially initially, isn't it? When we love someone, it's usually because we're responding to something in them. There is a quality about them that we find appealing. Their personality, their looks, the way they laugh, their kindness, something about them, and we love it. But Jesus' love for us is, is not like that, is it? Jesus' love for us is not rooted in that because we're sinful people. We're not really lovely people. 
Now, Jesus' love for us is not because of something in us. It's because of something in him. He loves us not because we're lovable or we deserve it, but because he is infinitely loving. And Paul's saying, being around that love, I found it started to compel me. I've started to love that way towards other people. Because I'm convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, I'm I'm convinced about that. And I've started to love people the way Jesus loves them. And what's the most loving thing you can do for someone who is lost and far from Jesus? Well, it would be to tell them about the Savior. I got a new mobile phone the other week. John Tuckwell, who hates Apple products, persuaded me to get an Android device. I'm still trying to figure out how it works. But you know the way it is with, with mobile phones, with the apps. You can add on to them and take them off whenever you want. I've done that a lot already. You've got your apps. You download it. It works for a bit. Take it off. Don't use it. They're not an integral part to your phone, are they? You, you swap them all the time. But you realize as you read this, evangelism telling others about Jesus. For us as individuals, for us as a church family, it's not an add-on app for the Christian life. It's not something we can decide to download and use if we want to or not and take it off again. No, sharing the gospel, speaking to other people about Jesus is the inevitable overflow of any genuine Christian life and any genuine gospel church because it's an overflow of the pleasure and love of Jesus Christ himself. Some of us will be more gifted in it. Some of you will be very good. You'll seem to have conversations all the time. Some of us will have more opportunities to do it. We'll, we'll just bump into people in all sorts of ways. Our context will allow us to do that. Some of us will be more gifted. Some of us will have more opportunities. But, but all of us should be hoping for more. All of us should be praying in that kind of way. So, If we want to grow in our evangelism, if it really does flow as an overflow of who Jesus is and what he loves, then we need to make sure we're growing closer to Jesus. That's the way to get it. That's the way to grow in his kind of love, where his opinions matter to me more than anything else. And his kind of love, I've started to absorb it. Now, here's the second thing. If we... If we want to grow in evangelism, we need to think hard about other people. Uh, on Thursday as a staff team, we, we ate our lunch together and then we set up uh, the table tennis and had a couple of games. Depending on your point of view, uh, it either brought out the, the best or the worst from people. The competitive streak. Battling to win. I played twice. I won twice. I thought it was great. But it can be like that sometimes with conversations, can't it? You found that? Uh, it can be like that with conversation and arguments. We start battling, battling to win. And if we're not careful, evangelism can end up that kind of way. I want to prove my point. I want to win an argument. I remember someone commenting on Jesus' parables and saying this, uh, Jesus was always more concerned with winning the person than the argument. Uh, and you see that, don't you, in the way he brings the good news message to bear on people. Uh, to tax collectors who feel too bad for God to save, and Pharisees who feel good enough that they don't really need saving, he tells a story of two brothers, one really bad, one really good, and yet both needing to be reconciled to their father. A story that's been designed with understanding of the people he was speaking to, trying to capture their imagination and open them up to God and the good news he'd come to bring. And you sense that here as you listen to Paul. 
you spot the language he uses. Did you see that? Verse 11, hear how he talks. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. You see down in verse 20? And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. End of verse 21. We implore you on Christ's behalf. You know how he speaks? It's not just delivering facts. Persuasion, appealing, imploring. It has the sound of words that engage the intellect and the imagination. Words that will try to answer genuine concerns and satisfy genuine longings, showing why Jesus is the answer to life's questions and why, why is the fulfillment of what we're looking for. Now, I think it was Francis Schaeffer who said something like this, if I have an hour to talk with someone about Jesus, I want to listen to them for 55 minutes so that in the last five, I'm able to say something that's really helpful. And you hear what he's saying? If I'm genuinely concerned to share the gospel with people, we need to think about them, listen to them, care about them, want to know what's going on with them so that we can share the gospel, the good news, in a way that they can hear and will be helpful with your friends, the people you're talking to. A great question could just be something like this. Look, you, you know I'm a Christian. What about you? What do you believe? I'd love to know and see where it goes. But here's the last thing. If we, if we want to grow in our evangelism, we need to be careful to be faithful. When I was in my 20s, I remember talking with a young woman I thought was pretty attractive. You can imagine me in my 20s. So long ago, my, my little boy saw, did I tell you this? My little boy saw a photograph of me, Jack saw uh, at my graduation, and he said, who's that? Who's that? And then he looked at it a bit longer and said, oh, it's you, Daddy. The hair's different, but the smile's the same. I liked that. That was a good line from him, wasn't it? He'll get a Christmas present this year. I remember in my 20s, talking to a young woman I thought was pretty attractive, and I was thinking, you know the way you do something? I'm thinking, this conversation is going well. I am looking good here. And then somehow, me being a Christian came up. And I remember her saying to me, because she was around church stuff, but she said to me, oh, you're not one of those born-again Christians, are you? Now, I don't know exactly what she meant by that, but what I did understand was that if I wanted to continue to be impressive in some sort of way, I would need to assure that I was not one of those kinds of Christians, and I could feel the no beginning to come out of my mouth. When, by God's grace, I managed to stop, and I said to her, yes, yes, I am. Actually, that's exactly what I am. I am one of those Christians. Look, there's all sorts of reasons. There's all sorts of reasons why I want to change how I present Christianity and being a Christian. Sometimes it's peer pressure. You'll feel this as well at times, won't you? Sometimes it's, it's with a genuine desire to not make it too difficult for friends. I want to make it easy enough for them to believe. If we soften it a little, the things they find difficult, it'll be easier for them to believe. But Paul's words are really helpful here, aren't they? Verse 20. See how he talks about himself. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. Paul's speaking in the first place about himself as an apostle. But it flows on to us that the gospel message, this gospel message is not something we invent. 
It's not something we can adapt. We present it persuasively. But we need to be careful to be faithful. Paul gives the heart of it there in verse 21, where he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the heart of the gospel. Cut off from God because of sin, Jesus has come and borne in our place God's just anger and given us instead his righteousness so that we can be reconciled to God. All of my sin given to Christ, all of his goodness credited to me if we trust him. I heard a story once of a a supermarket in America that apparently used to give out kind of tickets, vouchers to the shoppers every day. You could, you could pull out a ticket and some of the tickets would say a dollar off your shopping. Some of the tickets would say five dollars off your shopping, ten dollars off your shopping. There'd be one ticket every day that would say your whole shopping for free. The story goes there was a, there was a young mum in the supermarket. Or she didn't have much money. Her trolley was filled up with all the cheapest things she could get for her family trying to get by on not much money, and she was so hoping for that ticket. One ticket a day. And in front of her in the queue was uh, a man with a basket, single chap. He had three things in it. It was like a bottle of beer, some mouthwash, and a ready meal for one. You know the kind. You know the kind. You see them. I used to be like that. And you look at them, you think, oh, bless. And he pulled out the ticket, and it said, your whole shopping for free. For those three items. And you can imagine the young mum standing, standing um, behind him, just feeling deflated. And then apparently the man turned round and looked at her and said, Darling, our luck is in. <laughs> and she was overwhelmed, I guess you could say, with the grace of the man. Uh, sharing with her. Uh, what wasn't hers by right? She hadn't earned it, didn't deserve it, it was his, but he, he gave it all to her. And look, that's a silly illustration, isn't it? But do you feel the warmth of that story? If you feel it at all, do you feel, wouldn't it be good for something like that to happen? For somebody to be that kind to somebody in that much need? And if you feel that at all as a church family, we must feel that for the gospel. The one who's the darling of heaven. The one who's perfect in every way has come, come to us. And said he's willing to share his life for us, give his life for us. So that we can be right with God. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? If we're going to be a church family wanting to grow in evangelism, wanting to grow close to Christ, needing to think hard about other people, wanting to be careful to be faithful. Look, here's a couple of things. One is, one is come and pray. Prayer 150 when it's on. We want to be praying as a church family that we'll go out with the gospel. If you don't normally come to that, would you make time for it? Come and pray with us that we ask God to help us grow close to Christ. Maybe you're involved with the church plant prayer meetings. Keep coming to those in your small groups. Be committed to those. Be praying. Praying that we'll grow close to Christ. And here's another thing you can do. Look, learn to share the gospel. Learn to share the gospel. Be able to say something to someone. We're not all gifted with big words, but 
uh, people sometimes ask, we were thinking about this this morning, people sometimes ask, what's the difference between Christianity and other religions? I, I think one helpful answer can be this, to say it's the difference between do and done. Just two words, that's all you need to remember. Do and done. Religion says, here's what you need to do if you want to be right with God. Uh, the gospel is different. It says, here's what God has done for you through Jesus so you can be right with him. Maybe someone will say to you, look, you're a Christian. Is it just the same as all the other religions around? What's different about it? You could remember that. You only need to remember two words to get you going. Oh, the difference between Christianity and other religions is just the difference between do and done. And can I just explain that to you for a moment? That'd be a good thing to be able to do. It can be hard talking to other people. I remember I used to work with students um, up in the Midlands and around. I remember being through at one of the Christian Union meetings in Hull, and somebody at the front was talking about evangelism, and I could see to the left of me a rather dejected-looking fresher. And at the end of the meeting, I said to him, what do you think about that? He said, oh, it sounds great, but I'm just rubbish. I never know what to say. When I talk to someone, I, n- I never know how to say anything about Christianity or about Jesus. I always fluff it. I said, can I show you something that, that might help you a little bit? And he said, oh, I'd love it. And I drew up for this. Can we have the next slide up? You, you might know this. I drew up for this, I think, called Two Ways to Live. It, it's kind of a gospel outline in six boxes with six scribbly pictures that you can do and just chat someone through it. And I drew it out for him. I remember sitting in the CU meeting up at the back of a hall in a university, and I drew it out for him on a scrap of paper that he had. And I said, what do you think of that? He said, that's brilliant. Can I have that scrap of paper? I said, sure, take it away. A couple of weeks later, I was back, and I saw him again. I said, how did you get on? He said, it was brilliant. That bit of paper, I wanted to, I wanted to learn all the different boxes and what they were saying, so I, I blue-tacked it to my room wall in my halls of residence. And what happened? He said, one of my mates came in and said, what's that? And I said, oh, would you like to know? And he said, yeah, and I got it down. I've never told anyone the gospel before. And I sat with my friend and I talked through it. I said, what did you do after that? I put it back up. Someone else came in and asked me the same thing. I said, have you still got it up there? He said, no, I got rid of that bit of paper. I said, why did you get rid of it? He said, because I've drawn it out much bigger now. I've made a huge poster on the wall so that when anyone comes in, they won't be able to miss it. Loads of people keep asking me. Oh, just a little thing. Just a little thing generated an opportunity to talk to someone. Those of you, those of you at school... Those of you at uni, be a little thing you could tuck it in the back of a book, couldn't you? Those of you in your homes who have friends around, you can get little booklets of those things. You could leave it just lying on a table and pray that somebody who visits your home might pick it up and say to you, what's this? And we have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone. And one other thing I was saying this morning, look, 93 days to Christmas. Are you ready for it yet? Christmas is one of the easy times to talk to people about Jesus, isn't it? Invite them along to things. We're thinking this morning with the church family when they were here, what about your postman? Uh, We're new to the area. I've not really got to know my postman yet. I'm going to make a point, trying to find out his name or her name. Actually, I don't think I've even seen my postman, so I need to find out whether it's a postman or a postwoman. Find out their name, get chatting to them. 93 days I've got until Christmas. Hopefully, I'd love, and I'll be praying that I get to know them a little bit, so as Christmas comes closer, I could give them an invitation to something here at church. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the gospel about Jesus. Thank you that it is good news. Please help us to grow close to Jesus in the way he loves. And please help us to think hard about our friends and our colleagues around us and want to share the gospel with them. And please would you help us to be faithful as we speak to them. And we ask it in your name. Amen.